with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we've got a huge weekend of college football on the horizon to go along with the very first college football playoff rankings being unveiled this week. So we've got a ton to break down. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to get the latest news and notes from around the country with an eye towards the NFL draft in April. We're in the home stretch now. November college football is here. It's more important than ever to make sure you're tuned into this show on a weekly basis, especially that segment with Tony. After Draft Buzz, we'll transition to Scouting Report, where this week I'm going to break down some of the top senior running backs in the country, and that's Karen Higdon from Michigan. I watched four games of Higdon over the summer, and I've watched a decent amount of Higdon on Saturdays this fall, so I'll give you a bit of a snapshot into how I feel about him at this stage of the process as he begins to transition to the NFL. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week we've got a doozy with a visit from one of the best evaluators in the country, Mike Mayotte from NFL Network joins the show this week to talk about some of the favorite prospects for him around the country. Next up, we've got Saturday Scouting where Ben Fennell drops in to talk about his takeaways from Mississippi State's win over Texas A&M before diving into this week's road trip. Then we wrap things up with Draft Mailbag where I'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week, so let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's that time again to welcome in the best in the business when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL Draft. That's Tony Pauline, the Draft Insider Extraordinaire from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, I started my college football weekend last week on Thursday night with the West Virginia Baylor game, and it was a blowout for the Mountaineers. Senior wide receiver David Sills, he really stole the show. You know, for those that don't know, Sills is the 13-year-old quarterback that Lane Kiffin gave an offer to when he was the head coach at USC back a, a few years ago, which of course, you know, made national news and the kid was dubbed as the, like the next LeBron James at quarterback. USC eventually dropped the offer for Sills down the road. He ended up at West Virginia. He made a temporary transition to wide receiver on a part-time basis early in his career, then transferred to junior college with the hopes that he was going to sign somewhere else as a quarterback full-time. That did not work out, so he went back to the Mountaineers. He proceeded to tear up the Big 12 as a wide receiver. He was crazy productive last year in 2017. That production has continued this year. He's big. He's fast. He's got really impressive ball skills. He plays the ball so naturally in the air. Tony, where are you, what are you hearing about Sills and how high he could go in the upcoming draft? Hey, Will Greer also played well in that game, a good rebound game for uh, for the West Virginia quarterback. You know, uh, Sills is, a, is an enjoyable college player to watch. He's a very good college receiver. And the best way to describe him is he's a top 45 player, but he's a late-round athlete. And what do I mean by that? I mean, he goes six, about 6'3", 205 pounds. He's smaller than Alan Lazard, the receiver that came out of Iowa State last year and wasn't drafted. He's probably as fast, if not slower, than Alan Lazard. He's reported, uh, Sills reported to run in the uh, high four fives, low four sixes. He's got short arms. He's got small hands. Uh, I just don't think that, as far as being a draft pick, it amounts to anything more than being a, a mid-round choice at best. I, I also think the other thing that you've got to remember is that West Virginia offense often exaggerates the skills of their receivers because we've seen time and time again 
uh, West Virginia receivers come into the league and they're okay. Most of them don't live up to expectations or don't live up to the hype. So uh, Sills, I think, will break that, but I just don't think he's a special player at the next level. I think if the draft were held today and if he works out the way we expect him to work out, he's probably more of a fourth, fifth-round pick at the earliest. Tony, one matchup I know you had your eyes on this week. It wasn't in the Big 12, like the game we just mentioned, but it was in the ACC in a game that really turned into a blowout with Florida State and Clemson. Uh, The Tigers rolled as many of us expected they would, but I know you and a lot of others were really tuned into a matchup there in the trenches between Brian Burns, the underclassman pass rusher for Florida State, going up against Mitch Hyatt, the four-year starter at left tackle for Clemson. What did you see from that matchup? Yeah, it was not just uh, it was not just Brian Burns. Uh, as usual, uh, Florida State has got a lot of good undersized speed rushers. They got another kid by the name of Janarius Robinson, uh, who was matched up against Hyatt. And really, I mean, Hyatt was more than up for the challenge. I mean, he basically won that battle. You look at the stats line of the game. Florida State, who's one of the better pass rushing teams in the ACC, as they usually are, no sacks, one tackle for loss, and four quarterback hurries that were basically up the middle. I was so impressed with Hyatt. You know, Burns up until that game, up into the Clemson game, seven games had nine sacks. He was omnipresent from the start of the season when he, when he began hot against the Virginia Tech. He was a constant nuisance. But Hyatt basically kept him at bay. I mean, Hyatt, as I stated in my, uh, in my risers column, he's not the prettiest athlete, but he's fundamentally sound, bends his knees. He does a great job using body positioning as well as angle to knock uh, the pass rushers uh, from the play. There were a couple times when Burns looked like he had the edge on Hyatt, and Hyatt was able to get his hands into, uh, into Burns and remove him from the, from the action and protect the uh, Clemson quarterback. Hyatt came in. You know, Hyatt is all over the place on draft boards. But when you basically talk to scouts, he came into the season as a late-round pick. I had him as a third-round pick. I think he's somewhere in between. I think he's probably going to fit into that third or fourth round uh, come draft time. I don't know that he's a left tackle. I think he's going to be a very good utility offensive lineman that can play left or right side. I think he's a sort of a scheme specific. You don't want to use him in his own blocking scheme. The Florida State game was Hyatt's biggest challenge to date. I mean, if Clemson goes all the way to the national title game, as many expect, he'll probably have to play Notre Dame, who has good pass rushers, though they don't have the same speed rushers that Florida State has. And then he'll face off against uh, Alabama, who's got some tremendous pass rushers. So, uh, you know, I guess the other thing is is when you're practicing daily against the likes of Austin Bryant and Cleveland Farrell, as Mitch Hyatt is, he has to step up his game. Very underrated tackle, gets the most out of his abilities, a guy who I think can play in a variety of of roles on the offensive line. But really, after this game, the way he shut down the Florida State pass rush, uh, that's a major, major boost for his draft stock. And I think you nailed it there at the end, talking about how he just gets the most of his ability. That's certainly something that I saw studying Mitch Hyde over the offseason. I've studied in the last couple of years for Clemson, and I, I do think that he's got next-level ability as a potential starter. Let's move on, Tony, and kind of stick back to the Big 12. Oklahoma's head coach Lincoln Riley had his weekly press conference on Monday. And while many people were hanging on to his quotes about potentially jumping into the NFL, whether he's going to go and rejoin Baker Mayfield in Cleveland or not, I was intrigued by what I heard with him talking about his former running back, Rodney Anderson. Now, Anderson went back or went down with an injury back in week two. Riley revealed that he's rehabbing away from the team, and apparently Anderson's dad is in the medical field, and they had a doctor and a rehab center that they wanted to use away from Norman. 
What are your thoughts on that situation and what it means for his future? Have you heard anything about Anderson really over the last few weeks since we last spoke about him? Yeah, uh, last week I was told it's probably about a 75 to 80 percent chance that Anderson enters the NFL draft. It was not a bad tear in his knee, and it's thought that he, you know, he'll be back relatively soon or sooner than uh, people who sustain that injury back to uh, 100 percent health, back to playing form. Now, you know, before the injury, it looked like he was going to be a second-round pick. After the injury, people tell me, you know what, if he's not a second-round pick, he's probably a third or a fourth-round pick, and he's okay with that. So what I'm hearing right now is that you can expect uh, Rodney Anderson, very, very likely that Rodney Anderson is going to make himself uh, available uh, for the 2019 draft. If he goes in that third, fourth round area and he gets back to playing form, some team's going to get a steal. Certainly a name to keep an eye on. I remember a lot of people felt that he was the best running back in the country entering this year. Very talented player, just his durability, not just from this season, but started his first two years at Oklahoma. He missed the first two seasons there. So certainly something that will come up in February at the Combine if he does declare. Tony, uh, I know that there is a junior defensive back, talking about underclassmen, that could potentially declare out in the Mountain West. He's caught your eye. You told me you definitely wanted to talk about him, and that's the, the Mike Bell Jr., the defensive back from Fresno State, 6'3", 205 pounds. Give me some info because I literally know nothing about this kid other than his height, weight, and school. Yeah, this is a name that people on the West Coast have passed, multiple different people on the West Coast have passed along to me several occasions over the past month, and I made sure I watched them closely against Hawaii because Fresno State, one of the better programs and one of the better stories in college football that nobody talked about, basically shut down Hawaii on Saturday, a late Saturday night game. And Hawaii has one of the top offenses in the nation, one of the top air attacks, I should say. I mean, he's got excellent length, like you said, 6'3", 205, so he's probably more in the 6'2", 200-pound range. He's fluid, he's athletic, very stout against the run. Last year as a sophomore, 77 tackles. This year as a junior, 42 tackles in eight games, also three interceptions and six pass breakups. So he's got those ball skills. He's versatile. People feel he can play safety or corner. He's got a good amount of upside. He's a guy I think that, you, you know, you, if you play him at safety and you, you go to a, a third down the nickel situation, you can pull him over the slot receiver. He's going to do a good job for you. I'm here he's definitely leaning or definitely thinking about entering the draft. I'm told if he enters the draft and works out well, working out well means he's got to run in the low four fives or high four fours and test well in every other area, he's probably going to be a – he could sneak into the late third round, maybe fourth round area. But Mike Bell Jr., Fresno State, is a name to keep an eye on, a name that's been passed on to me multiple times. And, and you know, if, you're, if your team is looking for a defensive back, a versatile guy who is tough against the run, can play the pass uh, or, or even play over the receiver on third-down situations, Bell is the guy to consider in the third, fourth-round area if he enters. Very interesting, and certainly a name to keep an eye on, like you said, moving forward. Tony, uh, let's do a couple of prospect matchups here for this weekend because it does figure to be a great weekend for college football. We've got Alabama-LSU, my favorite game on the college football calendar personally. We've got West Virginia-Texas, Georgia-Kentucky, Ole Miss-South Carolina, uh, Florida State-NC State, Stanford-Washington. I mean, there are a lot of really interesting matchups this weekend. And let's start at the top with Alabama-LSU. What individual battles are you most looking forward to see down there in the south in Death Valley? You know, it basically is going to be, can that LSU offensive line contain the defensive line from Alabama, which is spectacular. We constantly, and we've talked numerous times on this podcast, 
about the Clemson defensive line. Justifiably so. I mean, they've got three first-round picks. They've got another guy who's going to be a second-round choice. And they've got someone who comes off the bench who's going to be a third, fourth-round selection. Well, you know what? Alabama also has two, potentially three first-rounders on that defensive line. Raekwon Davis is going to be an early first-round pick, the defensive end in that 3-4. Quinnen Williams, the nose tackle. I had him graded as a third-rounder coming into the season. He's definitely worked his way into the top half of round one with his play this year. And then there's Isaiah Bugs, who's a potential late first-round pick, maybe an early second-round pick. Isaiah Bugs was rated higher by scouts than Damien Harris coming into the year. He's more of a defensive end in a three-man line. He's an excellent pass rusher. You know, can that LSU offensive line, who really doesn't have, you know, named talent except for Garrett Brumfeld, the guard, who's probably going to be a mid-round pick, can they contain or can they slow down that Alabama defensive line? Because, you know, as we've seen through the years, Bama's got quality players who turn out to be quality NFL pros, and they're not just good uh, pass rushers. They're terrific run defenders or they occupy the gaps, and they play smart assignment football. So to me, for me, that is a game where the Alabama defensive linemen, the three guys I just mentioned, can really stamp themselves as first-round picks for the next, for the next level. Or LSU can, you know, can continue on to surprise people the way they have all the season. Yeah, and LSU, they get back Garrett Brumfield. You did mention him, the senior left guard. He's missed the last few weeks due to injury, and it sounds like he's going to play here on Saturday, and that's going to be a huge boost for that offensive line because they have struggled over the last few weeks. They've had to play some young kids, move pieces around. I think with him back in the lineup, that'll certainly help. That being said, I agree with you. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble containing that Alabama defensive front. I did watch Quinnen Williams recently. That kid is a monster inside. You have Raekwon Davis, who is very similar to a guy like DeForest Buckner with his skill set. Uh, Isaiah Bugs is a talented player as well, like you mentioned. That's going to be a really, really important matchup that's going to help decide the outcome of that game. Uh, let's go a little bit off the beaten path here with the next one, Tony. Louisiana Tech taking on Mississippi State. We kind of see this matchup on a yearly basis. We've talked a lot on this show about all the guys for the Bulldogs, whether you're talking about Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons on the D-line, Jonathan Abram uh, on the backside. You've got uh, guys offensively, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, Elton Jenkins on the offensive line. It's a talented uh, offensive football team and defensive football team. But what about the other side with Louisiana Tech? Because sneakily, they always continue, continue to put a lot of legit pro, pro, uh, pro prospects seemingly every single spring into the NFL. Who should be, we be watching here in this game? Yeah, and, and they're a good program. And they're one, of, you know, they're one of the better programs in the Conference USA. They're a balanced offense that moves the ball, and they have two terrific receivers. The senior Teddy Veal, uh, who's a transfer from Tulane, who I've watched for three years, and then a junior by the name of Adrian Hardy. I mean, Veal's a little bit smaller. He goes under six foot tall. He's more quick than fast. He's a guy you can line up in the slot. He has the penchant for making big plays uh, from the line of scrimmage, and he also has return skills. Scouts created him as a, a late rounder. I think he's more fifth round variety. Adrian Hardy is, is just, just a dynamic player. Six foot one, 190 pounds. He's only a third year sophomore. Runs and plays to the four four uh, four fours. He's a, a vertical threat who shows home run hitting speed. Uh, on the field, and, and they're going to be matched up this week against the terrific, uh, terrific Mississippi State uh, secondary. Talked about Jonathan Abram before. He's uh, probably a third-round pick. He's more of a downhill between the numbers, run-defending type of safety. 
So his ball skills are going to be challenged. We're going to have to see if he's got a complete game. Jamal Peters has got outstanding size for the next level, the Mississippi State cornerback. Great as a potential second rounder by scouts. Six one and a half, two hundred fifteen pounds. Missed three weeks uh, this season with a uh, knee injury. Runs and plays in the mid four fours. Came back well two weeks ago in the loss to LSU. Uh, played well against Texas A and M. I mean, Peters is a guy that can really make a move up draft boards if he shows that he's starting to uh, transfer that awesome size and athleticism into football abilities. And then they have a potential late rounder in Chris Rayford, uh, the cornerback from Mississippi State. So, you, you know, everyone talks about Montez Sweat, and, and as well they should because he's having a ter- terrific year and the other defensive linemen uh, at Mississippi State. But they've got some NFL prospects in that secondary, and they're going to be challenged this week because Louisiana Tech, like I said, in Teddy Veal and Adrian Hardy, you're looking at two guys at the next level who could be potentially third or at least fourth, fifth receivers as well as return specialists. So that's, that's going to be an interesting game to keep an eye on Saturday night. Tony, we've reached that time now where we're starting to see new mock drafts from around the country every single week. I know CBS Sports put a new one out this week. Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus put out his most recent one. I know you've got one over at DraftAnalyst.com that's coming down the pike here in the coming days. Let's go back to the draft network, though, and we seemingly go to these guys every single week. They're putting out great content on a weekly basis. But Trevor Sykema had the Eagles at 17th overall, selecting NC State wide receiver Kelvin Harmon. And I wanted to bring him up because he's just been ridiculously productive this year, and this week was probably the best game of his career from a production standpoint. Against Syracuse, 11 catches, 247 yards, a pair of touchdowns. I know that some people have compared him almost to like a baby Julio Jones because of his size and athletic profile. What have you seen from Harmon? Are you hearing that he could come out? Do you think he's worthy of that mid-first-round label? Well, give us the, the background info. I haven't studied Harmon yet. I'm going basically all off of peripherals right now, everything that I've seen from them, watching them live. Uh, overall thoughts here on Kelvin Harmon, 17 overall. He has really stepped up his game this year. I, I don't think he's a first-round pick, not just yet. I've not heard about him potentially coming out. did have 11 receptions against uh, Syracuse, but, also, but all, only came away with two catches against Clemson the week before. He's got the size. He needs more consistency. I, I think mid-first round is a bit early at this point in time. They've got a lot of receivers uh, out there at North Carolina State. Uh, Jacoby Myers, who's slightly smaller, 6'1", 205, but runs and plays in the mid-4-4s, has been more productive than uh, Harmon this season. It's probably better fit for the Eagles and, and someone, again, I don't think he's a first-rounder, but I think if, if it's the second round, it's between Harmon and, and Jacoby Myers. I think the Eagles would look more towards the speed guy and Jacoby Myers. I, I think both of them have a lot of upside. I think they both have NFL potential. It's just not there yet. Um, but they're heading in the right direction. And both guys, especially Harmon, has, has made major strides in his game uh, compared to last season. Well, Tony, great stuff as always. We thank you for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. By now, you can always follow me, 
at FDuffy3 on Twitter. That's where I post everything I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, that'll all be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. The Eagles obviously made that big trade for Golden Tate this week, so I have my breakdown of how he thinks or how I think he will transition to this Eagles offense and fit next week against the Dallas Cowboys. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, It's on my Twitter page like I said, or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down Michigan running back Karen Higdon, one of the best running backs in this senior class. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Karen Higdon, five foot nine, just a shade under 200 pounds. Last year as a junior, he was named third team all Big Ten as Michigan's offensive player in the year. That's Actually, a pretty big accomplishment when you consider the fact that he actually began the season as the third back on the depth chart for the Wolverines, but he worked his way up into a starting role, never gave it back. This is a a one-and-a-half-year starter for Jim Harbaugh and that pro-style rushing attack lined up in both one- and two-back sets, and there are multiple run schemes, so he's got experience with both gap and zone concepts up front. He's short. He's got a little bit of a slight frame. He's a decent athlete overall with pretty good feet, and he looks crisp when jump-cutting to the outside. Between the tackles, though, he's got solid vision. Doesn't have a ton of pop to him, but he's got enough power to spin off the first defender. He's got surprising contact balance considering his smaller frame. Uh, he keeps his, cheat, uh, his feet churning on contact when he gets wrapped up, and he runs bigger than his size would indicate. And in four games that I studied over the summer, he never put the ball on the ground. So this is a guy that seems to take care of the football. Probably the most dependable pass protector in the Michigan backfield. Gives good effort. He's quick to step up into contact, throw a shoulder into a defender. Even watching him on TV this fall, that has really popped up on the screen as well. As a pass catcher, he gets moved around into the slot at times in some of their empty sets. And I would say he's at least serviceable as a receiver. From a negative standpoint, you know, he's not an explosive athlete that's going to consistently get to the corner on perimeter runs, and, he, and he's not, uh, you know, the biggest or most powerful guy that's going to just run through contact consistently or move piles at the next level. So, you know, when you look at him, yeah, he's a little bit small. He's not uh, super explosive. He's a little bit stiff laterally. He's not naturally powerful. But at the end of the day, this is a competitive back. He runs bigger than his size would indicate. I don't see a guy with the upside of being a primary number one ball carrier, but he's a dirty work player, a guy that definitely has a place in an NFL backfield. He should find a role in the league as a nice number two or number three running back. Kind of similar in some ways to a Corey Clement. I think stylistically, he's like a Kareem Hunt, but he's just not to that level of talent, I don't think. Still, at the end of the day, I hope he goes to the senior bowl. I, I want to see him up close because there is a lot to like about Karen Higdon. Again, one of the top senior running backs in this draft. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by my friend Mike Mayock on Mr. Relevant this week to talk about some of his favorite prospects in the nation and how they transition to the NFL. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. It is always great when we get to hear from one of the brightest minds evaluating these college prospects that's not with an NFL team, and that this week is the great Mike Mayock from NFL Network. You can also hear him over the summer in the preseason. He's the color commentator for the Philadelphia Eagles in the preseason broadcast. Mike, uh, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Good to talk to you once again. And, you know, we're going to start here uh, with this draft class. It's really been dubbed the year of the defensive line, and for good reason, because there's just so much talent in this draft. 
Strath, both inside, outside, you know, off the edge. We've talked a lot on this show about Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, Josh Allen from Kentucky, but there are a lot of intriguing players up front in this class. You know, I love Jalen Jux from Oregon and the tools that he brings to the table. You've got DeAndre Walker from Georgia, who certainly can play a role in the next level. Uh, Ojane Saminis is a guy that I studied over the summer from Old Dominion, and you know, the kid just knows how to use his hands so well. No one's talking about him. It's just a very deep group, not just the big names, but just great depth. There's no, you know, I to me. There's just so many guys, but who for you stands out most? Uh, we'll start off the edge. Well, I think if you're talking about a top five or a top ten pick, and he's already decided not to play the rest of the year, I think it's Nick Bosa. And, you know, he's got an injury. Uh, he's declared for the draft already. Uh, when you put his tape on, Fran, it's hard to tell the difference between him and his older brother, Joey. I mean, he played with, with violence with great hand and the ability to separate. They've got athletic ability and burst and acceleration off the edge, and, and they can stout against the run. So I think both is a top-ten pick. Um, I think two power guys that I'm really intrigued with is Ferguson from Louisiana Tech uh, and Joe Jackson from Miami. Now, Jackson's a junior. Uh, they both have length and power, and, and when you watch them play, again, it's with hand violence, separation, and power. Uh, a couple of guys you didn't mention, uh, Ben Banigou from TCU uh, was is kind of a, I think a 34 outside linebacker, 6'3", 242, really good movement skills, and can drop in coverage. He plays a little bit in that three man front at TCU. You know, he's going to play the five technique half the time, and that's not really what he is. Uh, and I think the polite kid, uh, Politi, whatever the pronunciation is at Florida. You were talking about an explosive edge guy. He's not real long. He's only listed at six two, but so quick and explosive off the edge. So, Brand, I'm with you. I think there's quality at the top, and I think there's depth throughout. Yeah, and then you look at the interior. I mean, there's just an embarrassment of riches just in the senior class alone. I mean, Christian Wilkins, obviously at Clemson, is a stud. Uh, Jerry Tillery is having himself a great year at Notre Dame. Zach Allen at Boston College is a guy. We could have included him with that edge group. I think he could play inside or outside. You've got Isaiah Bugs from Alabama, Demarcus Christmas from Florida State, Rennell Wren, Arizona State, Gerald Willis from Miami. I mean, the list goes on. Is there a guy from that group or maybe a guy that I didn't mention that really stands out to you in terms of this? of his transition to the NFL? Well, I like the way you advanced Tillery and, and Zach Allen because I think both those guys have some versatility in their game. You know, Zach Allen from Boston College is listed as about 6'4", 283. Uh, he plays outside most of the time. I think the three, four teams see him as potentially as a five technique that can be a nickel inside rusher. Um, I think the 4-3 teams say, hey, he's a base defensive end that's a nickel inside rusher. And I think the key to his game is he's so athletic. And to watch him drop in coverage at 283 pounds, uh, he's got a great swim move. He's got good feet. Uh, I, I really like him a lot. And then Tillery, uh, boy, is he tough. And, and you look at him, and I think teams look at him as a, as a five technique or potentially a three technique. But either way, a, a, a sub-rusher which is becoming more important in the NFL. Um, I think an intriguing player, and it's going to take a lot of time to figure this kid out, is Gerald Willis uh, from Miami. You know, he's had a bunch of off-the-field issues, didn't play last year. If you put his first tape in this year against LSU, he had a dominant game. I mean, did you see that tape? 
Oh, I, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it live. I saw it when we uh, when the game aired live, and then I went back and watched it. I mean, it was, seemed like every second or third play, he's in the backfield. Just a disruptive, explosive, quick kid with a great swim move. Now, if you put on his Florida State tape, uh, which I watched last week, uh, it's a different conversation. Florida State's guards did a real nice job on it with his quickness and, and with that swim move. Uh, he did create some pressures, and again, you can still see how quick he is, but when you start talking about putting him in there against double teams and combo blocks, he plays too high, he gets washed too easily. I think he's a one-gap penetrator. He's a natural three technique, uh, and teams are going to have to dig really hard on this kid off the field. And obviously you mentioned all the seniors and you know the underclassmen like Ed Oliver, you know, no question. Uh, that the Aaron Donald comparison, uh, I think, is fair. Um, he's as quick and explosive an interior rusher as you've seen in, in years. And I think Jeff Simmons from Mississippi State is, is also in that conversation somewhere in the middle of the late first round if he comes out. Mike, let's get to some uh, skills position players. And at wide receiver in this senior class, I'm a big fan of Debo Samuel and what he can bring to an NFL offense. I don't think he's like Tyreek Hill level explosive, but he's competitive. He's a pretty good route runner. He's versatile. I love him with the ball in his hands. What have you seen from him on film, and how do you think he ultimately translates to the NFL? You know, it's interesting. I I liked his 2017 tape a lot. Uh, kind of compared him to potentially at six feet two ten and, and a guy that almost uh, plays wide receiver like a running back. Uh, I compare him to a Golden Tate, a Michael Gallup, or Darius Stewart, those type of players. Yep. Um, but when you looked at him this year and throw on say the Georgia tape, it was week one or two, I believe, um, and he struggled to get separation with, uh, with DeAndre Baker. Um, they threw to him a bunch of times, couldn't create any separation on the outside versus press. So I wonder what he's going to run. I, I see value in him. I've even had a couple scouts tell me they question whether or not he's playing a little bit heavy this year. Is he, hmm. is he in good shape as he was a year ago? So the reality for me is school's still out. I'm intrigued by his skill set, but I, I got a lot of work left to do to try and figure this kid out. Staying in the SEC, I know one player you've gotten a chance to watch recently is Mississippi State safety Jonathan Abram. Who We've talked about these guys on this defense a lot on this show. We talked about Abram just a couple of weeks ago with Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl. Uh, what have you seen from Abram this year? Because I haven't seen this year's film yet, but was very, very intrigued by his junior film over the summer. In college football today, it's hard to evaluate safety. It's just the way they play defense schematically, but Every once in a while, a safety will jump off the board at you. And when you put Mississippi State on, and they're loaded with defensive talent, the one player that has jumped out on all three tapes I've watched, and that was Louisville last year, Kansas State, and Auburn this year, is number 38 is flying around like a missile. He makes every tackle. Um, He arrives with an attitude. He can play in the box. He can play free safety. You know, the first snap, the first pass against Kansas State, they were in quarters. And he read quickly that he didn't have a responsibility. He just turned, opened his hips off, and drove towards number one outside and got involved in breaking up a pass about 45, 50 yards downfield with his corner who was covering a deep uh, vertical. And I couldn't believe, A, the way he hustled to get there, and then, B, the ability to rip the ball out. So 
everything he does, I'm, I'm really impressed with. Fran, the only question I have is how fast is he, and, and can he stay with people in man coverage? Yeah, well, he's a very, very intriguing player, a guy I'm excited to really dig deep on from this year's film as well. Uh, one guy, Mike, I'm excited to get your feelings on is Damian Harris from Alabama. Uh, very quietly, he's been a three-year starter for Nick Saban, pro-style offense. There's a lot to like with his game. Big matchup this week against Devin White and that LSU front seven. How do you feel about Harris at this stage of his development and how he projects to the NFL? Yeah, I still have more questions than answers on him, to be honest, Brandon. That's normal. We're not, you know, we're not even in November yet. Um, you look at his workload; he's always been always in the backfield. This year, he only had one game where he even had 15 carries, and that was against Arkansas. Tennessee, they didn't start him because of a quote internal issue, and you know we got to figure that out. Um, when I look at him on film, I see a guy with good size. He's downhill. He's tough. It looks like he catches the football well enough. I'm not sure how elusive he is in open space. You watch him against Ole Miss this year. Uh, he had two or three opportunities on flare screens to make people miss in the open field and gain additional yards, and he wasn't able to. So I, I really um, I need to dig a lot harder on him as this season progresses. And the two things I'm going to be looking for is, number one, contact balance. You know, How often can he run through arm to leg tackles? Uh, and also, can he make you miss in space? And uh, I, I like the talent. I like the work ethic. He'll pass protect. Uh, he was a great pass protect against Ole Miss on a nose tackle that beat a center. So yeah. there's a lot to like, Brand. I just think it's real early right now. The last question I got for you, Mike, you know, just looking at last year's quarterback class and obviously so many guys going up high, it seems like a lot of people are really down on this year's group. And sure, it's not as good as last year. We're not expecting as many guys to go up high, but I know you're seeing some intriguing talent there as well in that class. Yeah, and it all depends on who comes out for him, right? Especially all the skill positions, but at, at the quarterback position particularly. Um, when you look at a Justin Herbert from Oregon, who's only a third-year junior, that's played under two or three different coaches, coaching staff, um, you put his tape on against Stanford and – as a one-game standalone take, I'd put that game up against just about anybody I've seen recently. But, you know, he, he can drive it with accuracy at all three levels. Uh, he's 6'6", 235, he's athletic. Um, but some of the other tapes aren't quite as consistent. But the physical traits are there. Keep in mind, he's only a third-year junior. Um, the guy that's picking up a lot of momentum over the last uh, several weeks has been Daniel Jones from Duke. Uh, redshirt junior, again, uh, a bigger guy can push the ball down the field. I watched the Virginia Tech game, and, and he kept them in the game against superior talent just because he threw the ball with accuracy. He hung in the pocket uh, under duress all day long, kept his eyes up the field, pushed the ball down the field. Um, he missed a couple games early in the year with a, with a left collarbone. Uh, but if he comes out, he looks like a potential first-round talent as well. Uh, Drew Locke from Missouri – big guy, worried a little bit about his accuracy and his consistency, especially against elite defenses. You know, and then you got to figure out all these other guys. Uh, you know, Will Greer, West Virginia, gunslinger. It's, it's usually really, really good, but when it's bad, it's an issue. I um, think he's really interesting. Jared Stidham from Auburn has a very natural arm at 6'3", about 218 pounds. Uh, I thought he struggled against Mississippi State. Uh, they brought a lot of pressure against him, and his eyes came down a little bit, maybe nervous. 
And then you get into kind of like the Ryan Finleys, uh, Clayton Thorson, the Penn State kid, McSorley, what is he? Uh, there's three or four seniors like that that are very interesting guys. Uh, and I particularly like the North Carolina State kid as far as throwing with anticipation and accuracy. Doesn't have as big a gun as a lot of these kids, but an intriguing prospect nonetheless. Mike, it is always a pleasure. Appreciate the time here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And it's only a few weeks away, man. We're going to start uh, getting these Senior Bowl invitations. We'll be making the trip down to uh, to Mobile soon enough. Appreciate the time here. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll see you in Mobile, big boy. One of our favorite weeks of the year, man. <laughs> no question. Thanks, Mike. Great stuff, as expected there, from Mike Mayock. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. Before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it. When you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook, what we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Matt, who left a five-star rating and a question on our Apple Podcast page, and here's the question. Fran, I've told my son multiple times that if I were an NFL head coach or a GM and I didn't have a franchise quarterback and I didn't expect to get one sometime soon, then I would bring in three running quarterbacks, each of whom can throw the ball vertically. Then I would run an offense like Nick Marshall with the Auburn Tigers, including option runs and one progression throws off the option. So keeping it simple, if a quarterback gets hurt, you put the next guy in and you churn churn out the depth chart that way. There are plenty of running quarterbacks on the street who can't go through progressions but can run this offense. Would this work in the NFL? Am I an idiot? (laughs) Well, Matt, it's funny you asked me this, actually, because – you know, I've, I've had a couple people throughout my career, one guy in particular, you know, multiple degrees, really smart guy, worked for multiple NFL teams, uh, worked for multiple for, uh, teams at the Division One level of college football as well. Give me the same exact theory. I, you know, and there are a lot of factors at play here. There's no way I can possibly hit on all of them, but I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a little bit of a shot. Obviously, you need buy-in from the owner because you know doing something so drastically different is going to draw headlines and scrutiny from media and the fans. Not that decisions should be made solely off that, but you have to be prepared for it, and you have to have the job security to try and pull something like that like that off. You know, you're going to need that buy-in, and that goes from your owner down to all of your assistant coaches as well. I would say one of the big pros of this idea is that, yeah, you're not really investing a ton of money into that quarterback position. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things why people say, oh, this doesn't work because teams put too much value at quarterback. Well, if you're getting three guys that are kind of off the scrap heap at quarterback and people aren't really interested in, now you're not worried about that as much. Uh, you know, I know that with uh, reading Bill Polian's book and talking about the, the Tampa 2 scheme with Tony Dungy, one of the things that Bill Polian loved about working with Tony Dungy was he really embraced what was important about that scheme. It utilized small linebackers and big corners, which no one else in the NFL was looking for. They didn't need guys that ran 4-3 on the outside. They didn't need linebackers that were 250 pounds. So while everybody else was scooping those guys up, they could wait till day three of the draft, take a corner who ran a 4 or take a, a linebacker who is 225 pounds, and then they could spend those first-round picks on defensive ends or on offensive players surround Peyton Manning with talent at Indianapolis. So you'd probably be able to do something like that. And so when you look at this, you know you spend some of those valuable resources on positions that you could place a higher priority. In my eyes, you know if that if this were the case, you'd probably be loading up on skill players, explosive receivers, and backs, and then obviously you can load up with some studs on defense. The question then just becomes, from a football standpoint, is success sustainable on the field with this blueprint? That that's tough to say. I, you know, I'd lean no, 
Uh, NFL teams are just too good defensively between the preparation time on a weekly basis. The skill level is just such a big jump from college to the NFL. I think a scheme like that where it's option-based run game uh, and very simple pass reads in the passing game, I would think a scheme like that would be hot and cold. No one else in the league would be running your system. So you'll get some teams that may struggle in that first year of you know trying to make sure that they get their team ready on a short week of rest or anything like that if it's late in the year. But by year two, I think that team would really struggle to succeed on a weekly basis. That being said, no, you know, Matt, you're not an idiot. Uh, you know, like I said, there are guys that are a lot smarter than me that have pitched the idea and said, yeah, this is exactly what I would do if I were calling the shots. We haven't seen it yet. I do think it's extremely unlikely that something like this would happen, but you never know. So <laughs> thanks to Matt and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennell and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this week in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennell, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. That's Fennell with two N's. Two L's. Ben, let's get things started. You were out at uh, Mississippi State once again, shocker, uh, taking on Texas A&M. This was the sixth time in seven weeks uh, that you've seen Mississippi State. It sure feels like like it, yeah. Uh, But you saw these guys take on the Aggies. Um, big win for uh, for Mississippi State. I didn't really see uh, see that coming, but yeah, I didn't either. Mississippi State's a really tough team. To Very figure tough. Out. You know, they beat the brakes off of Auburn three weeks ago. They looked terrible against LSU last week. Now you have Texas A&M, who I thought was starting to turn the corner yeah. as a program. They have a really nice defensive line. Then all of a sudden, it's the other side of Mississippi State, where they're looking good on offense, and Nick Fitzgerald looks like a senior SEC quarterback, and they you know, got after the ground game, and it really wasn't close. I mean, uh, Texas A&M had a chance in the second half to kind of pull it to a one-score game, and they, they just couldn't make that big play on defense. All right, well, let's talk about that defense because, uh, you know, like you said, it's a very talented defensive line. Landis Durham was a player that we talked about last week, the stocky defensive end for Texas A&M. What did you see from him in this game? Yeah, it's a very, very impressive defensive line on tape, in person, the whole deal. They just didn't play up to par. Our analyst, Greg McElroy, said that he thinks they had the best defensive line in the SEC. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge statement coming from an Alabama guy, considering some of the fronts, wow. you know, at, yeah. at Georgia and Bama and whatnot. So that was a big statement. Twitter roasted him even up a on little the other, bit. Even on the other side with Mississippi State right no there. No question. Yeah, right in that own house. Uh, you know, so so he got a little bit of slack for that, considering they didn't really uh, come up and play to that potential. But Landis Durham had eyeballs on. He led the SEC in sacks in 2017. I was just a little disappointed. I knew he wasn't an elite you know, speedy edge rusher with a good first step and bend and flexibility. He's only 6'3", 250, so he's more in that squatty mold, more of that Brandon Graham, Carl Lawson type. He's just not as technical as those guys. And, you know, I saw him blocked way too often by tight ends one-on-one, offensive tackles washing him out way too easily. He's all over the field. He'll zone drop him quite a bit as well. So he's not just rushing the passer on every down. But just uh, expected a little bit more from a guy that put up 10-plus sacks in the SEC last year. No question. And it was uh, on the other side. I mean, you talk about uh, Montez Sweat, who we've, we've spent a lot of time discussing. Was this the time, finally, that you got to see some good flashes from Jeffrey Simmons? I know the, the first few times you've seen him this year, uh, he hasn't really been active in the game. 
What have you seen here from uh, from Simmons? Yeah, the two previous games in person, the LSU game and the Florida game, it just so happened he just wasn't as disruptive and, and involved like I expect him to be. But in this game, he was incredibly disruptive from guard center guard, really had a lot of knockbacks against the offensive center, tossed the go- uh, left guard on a goal line play that was really impressive, made a tackle 20 yards down the field, so it was great to see the hustle and the effort and nearly made another tackle 20 yards down the field later in the game. The ball carrier just got out of his grasp, but it was just great to see that hustle and that motor and him playing to the whistle. And that was something I really didn't see on tape consistently from him. So if he has that trait where he's just going to be a you know, a high-effort, high-energy guy and play whistle-to-whistle, whistle, that's just another trait that NFL scouts would be intrigued about. Yeah, he was the one Mississippi State guy I wanted to ask you about. But let's get back to A&M. Uh, Dalen Mack was one guy I know you had eyes on. Sternberger, Corey Thomas. Tell me about uh, some of the rest of these Aggies that you got eyes on for the first time. Yeah, Dalen Mack, he's, uh, you know, your run-plugging, squatty, one-tech with a great get-off. Reminds me a little bit of Rashard Lawrence from LSU and that they had the great get-off, a great first step. They're disruptors, but they're not doing a whole lot once they get into the backfield. So you can disrupt with that get-off and really shocking interior offensive linemen with that initial surge. But they're just not playing with their eyes up enough, and once they get into the backfield, able to shed those blocks and make enough plays in the backfield. But Dalen Mack was incredibly disruptive, had a couple knockbacks against the uh, senior center Elton Jenkins for, uh, for a couple nice plays. So, I like Jenkins because Jenkins is, is difficult to knock back. No question. So anytime you saw that kind of rock back from the center and him resetting the line of scrimmage, and I love watching those plays from the sideline to really see the depth of the defensive lineman and who's first across the line. Jenkins got rocked back a couple times. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, any of these other guys, you know, Sternberger or Thomas, that really stand out? Yeah, Jay Sternberger is a really interesting prospect for Texas A&M. He's 6'4", 250. He's only a junior. He's actually a Kansas transfer. He's a good athlete. He's got size. He's got route running. Our eyes all lit up when Mississippi State defensive coordinator Bob Shoup actually compared him to Zach Ertz and said Jay Sternberger was a hands-down, first-round caliber talent. Whoa. So that was just the respect that uh, Bob Shoup had for him. He said, we're going to bracket this guy on third down. We're not going to let him beat us. Sternberger still got open throughout the game. He had three or four absolutely critical drops in the game that they mm. just needed to move the chains. Kellen Mond just got no help from a skilled player. Sternberger is that go-to target. He's got 31 grabs, 500 yards, averaging 16 a grab this season, six touchdowns. He's the go-to target. He got himself open, just could not pull in those uh, those passes like we've seen him do throughout the year. All right, so what's the one play takeaway from this game? What uh, what one moment are you going to walk away knowing that this one's going to be in your memory banks? So I'm going back to Landis Durham here. This is in the second half. Uh, Mississippi State was backed up. It was a 21-13 game, so it was a one-score game. You get him in a third and long. It's third and 21. So you're pinning your ears back as a defensive line Landis Durham has a high side rush against a tight end. Uh, Kingsley Kiki has a spin move inside. But Durham is one-on-one on the tight end. He goes with the speed rush trying to beat him around the edge. And the tight end just washes him high side past the quarterback. The defensive tackle spun inside. So that just created a huge alley for mm-hmm. Nick Fitzgerald to step up, escape the pocket, extend the play, buy time. And Mississippi State, or excuse me, Texas A&M was in zone coverage, which it's very tough to maintain zone coverage when a quarterback extends the play. A receiver was able to uncover. Fitzgerald kept his eyes up. 84-yard reception to Stephen Guidry. Just completely took the the wind and uh, any sort of momentum Texas A&M had and maybe coming back in that game. All right, so who's the off-the-bus guy? Who's the most impressive physically that you saw down on the field? 
You know, I had two guys here I was deciding between. Junior running back Travion Williams for Texas A&M mm. is almost like a mini version of Ezekiel Elliott. He's 5'9", 200. That's right. Yeah, he's Looks a lot like him, just the way he wore his pads and wears his cleats, and he likes to you know, wear kind of that halter top in pregame and let his belly and his abs show. And he's a really thick kid, even though he's just a smaller version. He's only 5'9", 200. Zeke Elliott mm. was pushing 6 feet, 225 or so. So a little bit of a different body, but they just look the same in how they were put together. But I got to go with Dalen Mack, the uh, squatty one tech for Texas A&M. This guy's six foot, three twenty. Just an absolutely huge human being from the waist down. His butt, his legs, his calves. He's just a very, very well built and just a large man uh, that can plug the run for anybody uh, at the NFL. How about down the road? Is there anybody that was a freshman or sophomore, maybe a young redshirt guy that uh, really excites you from not necessarily the 2019 draft, but 2020 or beyond? Yeah, this guy's been up and down a little bit this year with his health. He actually didn't play this past weekend against Texas A&M, but running back Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, he's only a sophomore, 5'11", 215. Kylan Hill is a really nice running back, and they're super excited to uh, get him for a couple more years in Mississippi State. Interesting. All right, well, where are you heading this week? So this weekend I'm making my first trip up to Pullman, Washington to see number 10 Washington State Cougars face the California Golden Bears. So what, uh, I mean, I, first of all, you get to see Mike Leach. So I, yep. know, I know you're excited about this. Love seeing Mike Leach. Okay, you can't turn that down. Uh, it's your first trip out. Is your first trip to Pullman? Yeah. I thought you went last yep. year. No, nope, never been to I Pullman. Guess, I mean, you would know better than me. Um, never been to Washington or Washington State. So those were the two okay. Pac-12 teams I needed to knock off. Oh, nice. Off. Yeah. All right. So you got one off the list. Yep. Uh, not a lot of big-name prospects from the Cal side, it seems like, this year. Uh, Patrick Laird, I know, is the, the biggest-name guy, a senior running back. They've got another running back. I want to say Watson is his last name. Um, but let's focus on the on Wazoo because uh, you get to see one of your favorite players in the country up close again. You saw him back in Week 2 when Washington State took on USC, uh, and that's left tackle Andre Dillard. Yeah, I was just excited to get back out there and another, another opportunity to talk about senior Andre Dillard, 6'5", 300. It was only a three-star coming out of high school. He just has outstanding tape. Anytime you put on his film, he's always balanced. He's rarely on the ground. He's good athleticism. He's got a good punch at the point of attack. Plays a great awareness for stunts and twists and games or blitzers coming from the second level or depth. When you dig into this team in Washington State and you start to compare them with some of the other powerhouse programs around the country, you start to see Washington State and Alabama kind of one two in a lot of categories around the country. Washington State's only allowed six sacks this season. That's six fewest in the country. Alabama's only allowed five. And the interesting uh, portion of that is Washington State leads the country in pass attempts. Right. They have 425 pass attempts. Alabama only has 212. So Washington State has nearly double the amount of dropbacks, but only one more sack. Hmm. So they're just a very efficient group up front. I know it's an air raid system, and they're getting the ball out, but not every play is a quick game point and shoot. Gardner Minshew is still holding the ball. He looks down the field. And the other thing, Washington State is putting up points. They're third in touchdowns per drive, only behind Oklahoma and Alabama. Two very good company to be mixed in with offensively. Sure. So, you know, this team is very interesting. They're moving the ball on offense. Gardner Minshew is an interesting quarterback prospect. He's a grad transfer. He's completing 70-plus percent completions, 26 touchdowns, six picks. Actually went JUCO after high school, then East Carolina, then okay. grad transferred last summer, so he was able to play right away. And now he's uh, carrying out his fifth year of eligibility at Washington State. And he looks like a really intriguing prospect. I don't want to put the air raid label on him and that 
You know, he's just a point and shoot and a high percentage guy like the Graham Harrells of the world from Texas Tech. But Colt Brennan. Yeah, the Colt Brennans of the world. But this guy's got a lot of tools. He's got a strong arm. He's got some athleticism. He's got really good pocket awareness. For every ball that he gets out on time that you're saying, well, the pass rush couldn't get there, I could find a play where he's moving around the pocket and has good awareness and feel and has that you know kind of natural pocket clock and when to get rid of the ball, which I love in quarterbacks. Yeah, I know the Minshew kid is interesting, but Dillard is – I mean, Dillard – is a legit player, it seems like. I, I haven't done the deep mm-hmm. dive, but I know anytime you've been watching him on film and uh, I'll peek over and just see what he I mean, he's very efficient with what he's doing. He's more, more athletic, I think, than people realize. He's got heavy hands. He's always looking for work. There, it seems to be that there's a lot to like there. Yeah, and doing these games, it's really cool. We get some media and information packets from the schools, and what Washington State's been doing is giving the broadcast crews notes on the players from their position coach which is awesome which is really cool and i wish more teams would do that and some of them are just are just traits like almost talking about them as prospects for the next level which just gives it a great little snapshot on what this player can do well or struggles with and the coaches also aren't shy about you know maybe mentioning a negative or somewhere that a player needs to improve but the offensive line coach washington state seemed to have no hesitation saying that andre dillard could potentially be the best offensive lineman to ever play at Washington State, which hmm. I thought was a huge statement. I have to look at look back and see who are the best uh, linemen ever to come out of Washington State. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't run off two men. I know Cole Madison, you know, went to the Packers last sure. year as a reporter. I think Joe Dahl a couple years ago. Joe Dahl, yeah. You know, went it to was a good spot. I liked, I liked Joe Dahl. Yeah. yeah, I would have to dig into my Washington State uh, archives there. But regardless, a huge statement from the position coach who obviously likes him a lot. Well, I'm excited to hear what you thought after seeing him again uh, live this weekend. But uh, another matchup, this is a huge weekend of of matchups in college football. I mean, uh, Texas, West Virginia, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Kentucky, Penn State, Michigan. There's a bunch of really good games. Uh, one I'm very excited for. First of all, Alabama, LSU is my favorite game on the schedule, period, point blank, like every year. I love watching that game. Um, but West Virginia, Texas, one battle on the perimeter I'm excited to see. David Sills against Chris Boyd. Don't know how often those guys will get matched up because they do move Boyd or, or they do move Sills around a little bit. Now, Texas has shown that they will travel Boyd, so I just don't know, though, if that's going to be the matchup that they want. Boyd's a little bit undersized. Sills is a big kid. Uh, we'll see if that if that's a matchup to watch, but uh, it's still an interesting kind of idea there going into this game. I'm excited to see. Uh, I'll dive in, into that matchup a lot deeper, among others, in this week's Saturday Scouting article, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or on my Twitter feed, at FDuffy3. Ben, he'll be back next week to get your feelings uh, on this game. Great stuff, as always. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so this week in the draft mailbag, we'll go to Twitter where Hollywood TM2 reaches out and asks, how fast do you think Nikhil Harry and Marquise Brown will run? So Nikhil Harry, the star wide receiver from Arizona State, I actually haven't studied Nikhil Harry yet uh, just because he's a junior and he hasn't made that decla- you know, hasn't declared yet. Uh, once he does, I will you know, obviously give him a watch. From what I've been told and from the little I've seen from him on TV, he looks like he'd be like a low 4-5, mid 4-5 guy. That's just what he comes off as watching him on film. Uh, or, uh, sorry, watching him on TV and kind of seeing the highlights. Marquise Brown, same boat. Haven't studied him, but I've watched a decent amount of Oklahoma both last year and this year. That kid's going to be in the 4-3s. I mean, that kid's got legit, legit long speed. Uh, he can stretch the field vertically, horizontally, jet sweeps, vertical routes. I mean, that kid does a lot. And then the second part of Hollywood's question 
What is the level of concern for DK Metcalf's injury? And that's a great question. We talked about this with Tony Pauline uh, a couple of weeks ago, right after the injury. Uh, and it, unfortunately, it seemed like there was a concern that it could be serious. So we're kind of in a holding pattern until we get more news. Apparently, he was seeing some specialists and, uh, you know, they were going to get some news there. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of where we're at with this. He's a very talented player, not a finished product from what I had watched from him uh, last year, his redshirt freshman season, but obviously extremely productive. The physical tools are through the roof. Uh, you really hope that he's able to come back from this. You know, Mike Williams, I, you would hope that's kind of the best-case scenario for this. Mike Williams uh, fractured his neck back in week one of what was, I guess, the 2016 season uh, and came back, uh, did play – or no, it would have been the 2015 season, came back, played in 2016, uh, and then was still a top-10 pick. You hope that that's kind of the case here for DK Metcalf. So good question there from Hollywood TM2. And again, if you ever have any questions for the show, you can always hit me up on Twitter, at FWE3, or head over to one of our podcast channels, give us that rating, leave us the comment in the comment section, uh, and I guarantee you it'll make it in the show. Um, And with this being a new show, that's the best way, again, to throw us your support, helps bump us up in the rankings, and, you know, helps spread the word about the podcast. So uh, great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennell, Mike Mayock, and all of you out there listening, of course, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you again for listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.